I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. To Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, a freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining me this week to talk about absolutely sweet Marie from 1966's Blonde on Blonde is obsessive Dylan fan and writer Will Stegeman. Will, thank you for doing the show. Oh, Rob, thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. I was uh, this uh, Will comes to us via our pal David Gutierrez, who of course is the uh, as he puts it, associate producer of this show. Uh, I think he calls himself executive producer. I call him associate producer. And uh, he said, you got to talk to Will, because Will's a giant Bob fan, and, of course, I want to talk to any Bob fan I can, I can find. So, Will, like, before we start a little bit about this song, like, what's your history on, with, with Dylan? Like, when did you discover him? What's, what's the, the story there? Well, there's a – I have a, a lifelong history. Just, you know, background, I am uh, 40 – I'll be 42 years old this year. So, you know, my lifetime spans, you know, three quarters of, of Bob's career, roughly. Um, I'm told that when I was an infant, my parents would put on a Dylan record on, you know, big 70s headphones and then lay the headphones next to me in the crib. <laughs> wow. So apparently, according to my parents, it, it's something that, you know, has been with me since I was an infant. Um, I, in a sort of childish rebellion, because this is what children do, said, I do not want anything to do with this. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was a teenager that I secretly reverse rebelled and started listening to him on my own. So I didn't really dig into it until I was like 15, 16 years old. And because I didn't want to admit to my father that, hey... That music that you like is pretty good. I would like sneak it. I would like go to the library because they had, you know, I could just basically have a whole catalog there. We'd go to the library and listen to it or have, you know, cassette tapes that didn't have names on them. that I could listen to it on headphones because I didn't want to admit to my dad that he was right. <laughs> and then when I finally did, then, um, you know, we would sit down and have lengthy conversations about songs like – when I heard about this podcast and, and listened to a couple of them, I'm like, oh, this reminds me of my dad sitting me down and playing <laughs> me songs. Like, I remember him, you know, sitting me down as a teenager and playing Hurricane for me and, you know, going through the entire, you know, story of Reuben Carter. And, you know, it, it, was a, it was a way that we bonded. So this podcast is right up my alley. It, it feels like um, something I've been doing for the last you know, almost 30 years now. <laughs> wow, that is impressive. You and I are pretty much exactly the same age. I don't date back that far, so that's that's pretty amazing. That you're That's really cool, your parents, to bring that to you, because I sort of brought it to them. They were the ones who were like, what, he's into this? Because they, they're, I mean, obviously, obviously older than me, uh, but they were not particularly fans of his growing up, so I'm the one that sort of brought it into the house in a, in a weird way, but your, your parents were really... Jeez. Yeah, they were right in the wheelhouse. You know, they were they were both born, you know, in the... Um, mid-50s, um, and they were pretty young when they had me, but my dad say, always says, you know, 
the first record he bought with his own money um, was a the the single of Lay Lady Lay, <laughs> and his mother, my grandmother, who you know is is thankfully still with us, um, would talk about how mad she got that her then twelve year old son brought home a song called Lay Lady Lay. And why would you need something like that? <laughs> That's fantastic. I absolutely love that. That's great. Um, so yeah, we're, so we're here to talk about Absolutely Sweet Marie, which is from side three of Blonde on Blonde, for those of you uh, vinyl-centric. Uh, uh, it is one of, I, I would say it's, I don't want to say it's a formula in terms of the songwriting, because the song is, but the titles are. I mean, there's a couple songs here where Bob is clearly sort of plugging a, you know, uh, adjective or adverb in front of a noun where it doesn't make sense, where it's Absolutely Sweet Marie, Obviously Five Believers, Temporary Like Achilles, Rainy Day Women. It's just, you know, Blonde on Blonde is, is sort of the apogee of his weird, phasm, you know, phantasmagoria uh, songwriting, except for Absolutely Sweet Marie is one of the most radio-friendly beats I've ever heard of all of Dylan's canon. I mean, it is it is impossible not to sing along or, or, or if you're uh, ambulatory, dance along to this song. Well, you know, you're right. It's got a great sort of, like, shuffle to it. Um, one of the things, like, I, you know, this week I, I really dug into it and really listened to it for the first time because for me, I'm an album listener, so I'll normally listen to a whole record. You know, and I've always thought that, you know, this side of the record is you know, maybe one of the best sides of any record that he ever put out. And I know there are a lot of contenders for that. But, you know, side three of Blonde on Blonde is, is terrific start to finish. So I, I rarely listen to it just on its own, even, you know, even with, you know, the sort of iTunes shuffle of how we consume a lot of music now. Listening to it out of context really sounded odd to me. I'm really used to... Um, you know, temporary like Achilles leading into this. Mm -hmm. So going from the sort of, you know, piano-driven um, kind of, I don't know, I don't want to call it lighter, but going from the feel of Achilles to Absolutely Sweet Marie was always like a gear shift. It was like, oh, we're going we're gonna to turn this up a little bit. So I had never really dug into it on its own. And on its own, the thing the song keeps, you know, making me think of is if you listen to it on its own, it almost sounds like the band is playing, and then I always imagine like like he's coming from backstage somewhere. There's this upbeat, almost like a variety show, you know, beat to it. Like here we go, the show is starting, <laughs> and then he just sort of walks up to the microphone and, and kicks into the lyrics. Yeah, and, absolutely, that's absolutely true. Um, and I don't know that any, you know. I don't know that anything else um, – I don't know why that's the image I have in my head. But you're right about sort of the radio – if they use you know, just the, the beginning part of this as the opening to a, you know, to a talk show or a game show, you would believe it. Yeah, it, it, it immediately involves you in terms of just – it's the minute you hear the beat, you're like, wow, that's – that is memorable. That is a wonderful sort of melody that, they've, that he's uh, – bringing into the song and the, the band is, is tremendous on this and the lyrics are you know I mean again it's blonde on blonde and when he this was really him at his most you know craziest of the wordplay but yet the refrain is so simple that it sort of keeps dragging you back it's very similar again to I want you where it's all this crazy stuff is happening but then the refrain is just where are you tonight sweet Marie and you know you could either say that's 
you taking it literally where, you know, he can't find this woman or it could be uh, that she's in the room with him, but she's in another place. He's trying mm-hmm. to connect to this woman, but she's she is not paying attention to what he's trying to get across. And it works either way. Yeah. You know, I am I don't know that I'm in the minority on this among Dylan fans, but I think Dylan is an underrated musician and an overrated uh, lyricist. Hmm. I think that Dylan is a is a you know as far as rock lyricists go, probably you know unparalleled. But I wouldn't say that everything he put out there is you know is untouchable. And I think a lot of Blonde on Blonde is you know the is wordplay. It's it's a formula. It's a um, it's hey this is how we're writing these songs. And there is a I love the record. But there is kind of a, a sameness to it where he's, he's sort of juxtaposing and transposing phrases that, you know, the idea that, that Dylan wrote, you know, poetry um, doesn't hold up to the slightest scrutiny, which isn't to say that they aren't great rock songs, because they are. Um, but it always, it's, over the years, has increasingly driven me crazy <laughs> when people dig too much into it. And it's like, you know what? This is just a great groove and it's got, it's great to listen to. And the lyrics are what they are. You know, he's trying to connect to somebody. He's trying to, as you said, either figuratively or literally find somebody. Um, and there's, it is just what it is. It's one of those songs where he tells you what he's doing right on the page. Um, there's no need to dig any deeper here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he says, I'm just sitting here beating on my trumpet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which even at a young age, I was able to go, oh, okay. Yeah, yes. all right. I, get, <laughs> I know what you're saying, Bob. He does have some wonderful turns of phrases there. I mean, he refers to the frozen traffic, which I like, because instead of a traffic jam, it's a fro- frozen traffic. And that's just yeah. a very evocative kind of phrase, even though it's referring to something, you know, relatively, you know, prosaic, a traffic jam. Okay, well, I understand, but but that it's sort of a wonderful kind of way of referring to it. And um, I sort of like the kind of shrugginess of the lyrics a little bit, like when he, he's insulting her at one point. I mean, he's, he's trying to come on to her, but then he's also insulting her. I mean, he talks about, he says, uh, but then now again, not too many can be like you, fortunately. And right. it's, it's an insult, but it's a kind of throwaway insult. Like he's not – it's not uh, positively Fourth Street where he's trying to shove the knife in. It's more just like he's digging at her a little bit yeah. and he's trying to lure her in, but at the same time he's, he's pushing her away. Okay, agreed. It's, it's – again, it, it fits into just this period where he was in where these songs are just pouring out of him. If you, know, if you go from you – know, sort of depending on where you define that sort of – you know mid to late 60s sort of white hot period of Dylan you know going from and I'm I'm, I'm embarrassingly going to get my my records wrong <laughs> but going to the one that precedes um Highway 61 bring it, it sorry, all back br- home bring it all back home Highway 61 blonde on blonde when you when you go through sort of that album run where they're just pouring out of him um you know, you wonder how many how many lines like this did he just throw out? Yeah. <laughs> or when you when you listen to you know things that didn't make the cut and you hear earlier versions of things where he reuses some lines, it's you know it's amazing. And the other thing that I love about this this song is that it's another song where there are just 
characters who get mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, what is it? You know, the, the riverboat captain, the Persian drunkard. Um, I, I love just the the cast of characters that exist in that album run, or even just on Blonde on Blonde is terrific. Like you could, I'm sure somebody with more ambition and more time than me has written a play consisting of nothing but characters who get named once in Bob Dylan songs. <laughs> and if not, there's something you should work on. Just let's just, you know, let's build this out. Yeah, I think in uh, in the Biograph box set, there's an intro, or maybe it was an article I read about Dylan, where somebody said that they went to a party where everyone yes. had to be dressed as a character from a from a Dylan song. And like, imagine just having the depth of to be able to do that. Right. <laughs> but you know, also, could you imagine how how tiresome that party would be? <laughs> Five minutes. It's like it's a great idea, but hey, so what do you want to talk about? <laughs> uh, everybody's Mr. Jones there. It's uh, yeah. everybody's coming. Yeah, I mean, so there are a couple other uh, phrases here that are. Uh, in, you mentioned about his poetry and, and sort of that doesn't always hold up. I mean, a lot of this of Dylan's work, and and yeah, I, I agree. He does not get enough credit for his musicality because yeah, this is a, just as a just a wonderful rock song. Yeah. But some of these lines that he's taken. You know, he's just plucked out of the air from life. And one of the one I'm thinking of specifically is there's a line in here because it's but to live outside the law, you must be honest. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a line taken straight from a movie. Yes. It is from a, a movie. From, oh, I, it'll come to me. Give me a second. Um, oh, uh, the lineup. The it's lineup. Great. That's right. The lineup starring Eli Wallach. And that movie came out in 1958. And that would have been Dylan would have been seventeen, and his I think it was his uncle that mm-hmm. ran a movie theater. Yeah, and so you could just picture seventeen year old Bob Dylan or Robert Zimmerman watching this movie, and that line just went in his head, and there it just stayed until nineteen sixty six. And oh hey, live outside the law. You must okay. Let's there it is. He just drops it into the song. Right, and the thing is, like he's he's working at such a level that had he recorded the song an hour later, it may have sounded, you know, completely different. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, the fact that he just, and a lot of this was amphetamine-driven, but so right. what? But the idea that he was just, you know, I, I think that there were four takes of this song, and only two of them were completed, but he was just, you know, rolling through these things and, and making changes and just saying, okay, you know, going to, you know, the, the band, and I when I say the band, I don't mean the, the, the band, band yeah. I mean... You know the the guys he was working with here. You know, it's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna go through this. It's it's your basic sort of you know up tempo blues shuffle. Let's go. Um, and you know they had the the ability to just kind of roll with him as as he did this. Yeah, yeah. The band the, the band was incredibly simpatico with him, which is remarkable according to his relatively difficult working habits in terms of not introducing the band to the changes or to the song. He just basically was like, okay, guys, one, two, three, let's go. And they had to yeah. sort of catch up. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, it's like they, I'm assuming, and I, I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that this was done in, in the um, Nashville sessions for this where, uh, and if I'm wrong there, please correct me. But yeah, these are all professional session musicians who are used to just sitting down every day with somebody's music in front of them and, and rolling with it. Yep. You know, these are guys who could play with anybody. So I don't think all of those, you know, background and sessions guys, you know, get the credit. And thankfully, you know, they, they're on these Dylan records. So at least 
you know, obsessive weirdos like you and I, you know, <laughs> know the names of, of some of these guys. Yeah, right. Yeah, these guys never thought they would be immortalized. You know, mm-hmm. this was just another gig. I mean, I'm sure it was having Bob Dylan there was pretty amazing because, uh, you know, he was he was sort of uh, breaking some new ground, sort of having be, being such a rock act and then going to Nashville. But still, yeah, these guys are just, okay, he's another this weird kid and he's got these, all right, let's just play and you know, 50 years later, they're reissuing, you know, gold editions of this record and things like that. And it's being listed as, you know, one of the great records of all time and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder, I doubt that, you know, even Dylan himself, you know, thought that this would last. That I'm sure when he was recording this, he's like, okay, this is, you know, this is the best I can do. But do you really think that he thought, you know, 50 years later that... <laughs> Two guys would be talking about this song that he probably just kind of threw out. Hey, this yeah. is just the thing we're working on, that people would be talking about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he figured, uh, well, in 1966, he probably figured he wasn't going to live for, living for very much longer considering that's, the amphetamines he was taking. But uh, That's true. Thank, yeah. thank goodness for the motorcycle crash, I guess we can all say. He's got his, got his life back together. Uh, this song, for how peppy it is and how sort of radio-friendly and how you would think this would be a real crowd-pleaser concert-wise – Never, he never played it in concert until 1988. Uh, he's only done it 181 times, according to BobDylan.com, and he hasn't mm-hmm. played it again since 2012. So, for for something that's, you know, I would think it would be a re- again, it's something that the audience could really get into. Uh, he's not done a whole lot with it. He did perform it at the MTV Unplugged sessions. It didn't make it onto the album, which is mm-hmm. a damn shame because it's a terrific version of of it on MTV Unplugged. But yeah, this is just not something he's really done much with after putting it on the album. You know, I, I've looked it up because I didn't remember ever seeing him play it live. And I've seen, um, I've probably seen Bob with his band maybe 60 to 70 times over the years, which is a lot, but not a lot, not as many as a, a number of people that I know. But I don't, I don't remember seeing it, but I did actually check some set lists. And I'm like, oh yeah, it looks like he did it there. And I, it just didn't register with me, part, partly because the the live version that I associate most with this song is the George Harrison live version right. from the 30th anniversary concert. Right. And, I mean, if you can believe that the, the 30th anniversary concert was now <laughs> 20, 25 years ago. 24 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> but I remember listening to that on the radio, you know, um, you know, I grew up on Long Island, so, you know, having, like, WNEW on and listening to it while, you know, recording it on my cassette recorder and flipping the tapes in between. And I remember the cassette cuts off in the middle of Lou Reed doing Foot of Pride, <laughs> which always bothered me because there was always a couple of seconds of it that I was missing. But George Harrison's, you know, Ab- um, Absolutely Sweet Marie um, is terrific. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got, you know, Booker T and the MGs playing behind him mm-hmm. and, like, I don't know that you – that may be my favorite version of this song even more so than the version on, on Blonde on Blonde. I think it's a great version. It is. It is. Um, executive – Pod Dylan executive producer David Ace Gutierrez is going to make fun of me because now I have to mention that I was at that show. And uh, yeah, that was tremendous to hear that, to hear George Harrison's. I mean to, to just to hear a Beatle singing a Dylan yeah. song. That by itself was amazing. And then you think about that uh, – you know, of all the songs that – 
George Harrison could have picked, he picked that was one of the two that he picked, and you figure that must have a real special resonance to him to pick because that's not an obvious one. You know, it's not like yeah. he's picking something you would think, oh yeah, he's singing a hit. He's singing something relatively obscure. And you know, you have to assume that when they went to the artists, you know, because people, I'm sure they went to George pretty early. Right. Yeah. Not <laughs> first together. choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. George was one of the first people they went to. Like, I'm curious to know. Like, I would love to to know. Like, what was the the you know the the planning that went into that? Because you figure, you know, Tom Petty got asked early. Right. Um. You know, Roger McGuinn probably didn't get asked early. <laughs> um. But you know, George had to be had to be up there near the top of the list. So you figure he got in before all of the real good songs were taken. Right, right. So, you know, the fact that he chose this tells me it probably um, it probably meant something to him. And his version of this has been on my mind a lot because in the, you know, three days now since um, Prince passed away, I've been watching, I'm sure you've seen it, but the clip of Prince playing on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Right, right. I've probably watched that maybe two dozen times over the last couple of days, Um, which reminds me of, you know, George playing this song and then trying to think, are there... I don't know that I've ever heard Prince do a Dylan cover. No, I... I, That's true. He's done along the Watchtower. Okay. Oh well, geez. <laughs> yeah. You know, I um, yeah, I was trying to find some some connection to the two of them, and like, did they ever meet? I mean, they obviously trod the same ground over there in up there in Minnesota, and I figured they had to have met at some point, but I cannot find any proof of it, which is too yeah. bad because that would have been a hell of a picture. They had to have met, but they they were both you know for such public figures, you know, famously private. Yep. Um. So who knows? They could have sat down and had dinner several times. I wouldn't be surprised nope. if they hung out every weekend or I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they never met each other. Um, but it's you know funny thing about the two of them is that people have made a career out of parsing out and reading between the lines and trying to figure out who they are. Um, but when you get down to it, like they're happy to tell you who they are either through their work or through, you know, the things they support. And, you know, we've been lucky with, you know, with Dylan, where he's, as he's gotten older, um, he's given us more and more glimpses of things. I loved when the, you know, the Bob Dylan radio hour was something Uh, that was active. That was such a great show. Yeah, and he would, you know, talk between songs, and the entire archives of those are out there. Mm -hmm. You can go and listen to the whole thing, and I don't know that there's a more sort of illuminating portrait of who you know i don't know if that's i wouldn't say that's always who he is who he has been but it's such a great window into who he became as he got older Mm -hmm. and you know him going through the records that meant a ton to him you know in his lifetime and and that's as close as he's really ever come to opening up and saying (laughs) like hey this is the heart of what it means to be bob dylan it's a great great thing it is. Yeah, Theme Time Radio Hour, I have always said, is one of the greatest creative acts that the man has ever done. And that's saying something, you know. Yeah, uh, but it really is a, three seasons of amazing, 
uh, you know, a to- the greatest, coolest professor of music you're ever going to have in your life, mm-hmm. just playing you really cool stuff and telling dumb jokes and giving you little histories. It, it, it's, a, it's a shame that that isn't more known uh, than it is because yeah. it is it is one. It's true. It is completely wonderful. And I'm pretty sure that it's that radio show that led to Bob's weird appearance on Dharma and Greg. It did. It did because uh, they have a similar producer. Yes. That, that guy, Eddie Gorodetsky, I believe, mm-hmm. is the guy yeah. with the connection there. He's been a longtime friend of Bob. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's another surreal moment of seeing Bob Dylan on <laughs> Dharma and Craig. <laughs> well, I remember, you know, one day, you know, two years ago, some friends sort of – somebody just suddenly rediscovered that that episode of that show existed um, and like, oh, I wonder how this happened. And in the back of my head, I'm like, well, I guess I could tell them exactly how it happened, but – it's better to let them have their mystery mm-hmm. of of how they think it happened because the real story is like you said you know it's a similar producer somebody was friends they brought him in to do this yep um, you know he did it as a favor to a friend basically it's much better in whatever fantasy you want to make <laughs> yeah. up and at the end of the day I mean that's kind of the whole um, the beauty of Bob Dylan being Bob Dylan is he lets you have whatever fantasy you want to have and you know. Whatever you want to think Absolutely Sweet Marie is about, he's happy to let you think whatever you want to think it's about. Yeah. There is no really wrong. What it means to you is what it means to you, and that's what he's always been trying to tell people, and that's why he's been frustrated when people say, what does this mean? What does Mr. Tambourine Mr. Tambourine, that's about drugs, right? Like, yeah, it's so tiresome to be answering questions like that. So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely Sweet Marie or any of these songs, it's what it is. It's whatever you want it to mean. So that's, that's how it works. It is. It's, it's, it's the beauty of it, is that it's all open to interpretation. There are no wrong answers. And there are very few times I can think of where he's said, this is about one thing. And the things that are about one thing, you know, the early songs, you know, the, the quote-unquote protest songs, and, you know, things like Hurricane, those are exactly what, the, you know, what they appear to be. I think he's gotten, as he's gotten older, he's gotten more and more um, literal, um, oh sure, yeah. As he talks about aging and and love and longing, like these are these are really clearly about somebody going through you know their own life. But this mid period, this can be whatever you want it to be, and it's beautiful. I yeah. love it. The uh, very last thing I want to mention about this song is that this was, uh, as I mentioned on the show before, I didn't, I can't, and I was talking about here, I came to Dylan kind of later on in my life. I was 19 or 20 by the time I, I sort of discovered him. But Dylan had always sort of, of course, been in the culture. You can't possibly avoid him. And a couple of years earlier, um, there was a comic book uh, series called Batman and the Outsiders. And it was, uh, you know, Batman and a, t- a small team of superheroes. And they used to run these little half-page ads for, the, for that title in other comic books. And the writer, Mike W. Barr, used to put real-life quotes in his books. And in the ad for Batman and the Outsiders, there was the quote, But to live outside the law, you must be honest, Bob Dylan. And at, at the age I saw that ad, 14 or 15, it didn't mean anything to me. I was like, well, okay. I knew who Bob Dylan was, but I was like, okay, it just sort of, you know. But then later on, then I hear this song and I go, oh, okay. And it's one of those things where as I got more into Bob, I realized, God, how much of his stuff has seeped into the culture. Yeah. And, and you, you can't avoid it even if – and that's – even if you somehow wanted to, it's everywhere. And there's things that are – 
references that you didn't even know were Dylan references until you go back later and go, oh, it's a, it's a Dylan reference. Okay, so so that that line in particular obviously means a lot to uh, to Mike W. Barr, and he used it in the ad, and and then here it. So every time I hear it, I picture that ad for Batman and the Outsiders when I hear that line in the song. So that is great. I never knew the the comic connection there. Yep. So, uh, is there anything else we want to say about Absolutely Sweet Marie before we sign off? Just listen to the song and enjoy it. It's 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 one of the greats. I'm glad I was able to to get in early, close to the ground floor on Pa Dylan to get <laughs> before you know one of my favorite songs to talk about. You know, because as much as I love Dylan, I don't really like to talk about a lot of songs. There's a handful of songs where I feel like. Oh, this is great to sort of peel back the layers, and this is definitely one of them. But otherwise, let the songs speak for themselves. Interesting. Okay, well, maybe that might not be the best advice for people who want to listen to future episodes of the show. But Just my opinion. It's just Will's opinion. So, uh, well, again, Will, thank you so much for coming on. Much like George Harrison, you were given early pick to, to pick what song you wanted to talk about. And I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Right. Uh, where can people find you on the internet if they are looking to hear more of your wisdom? Uh, let's see. Um, for the most part, um, because I'm busy with a day job and, and other things, mostly I'm making ridiculous jokes on Twitter. Um, either look up my name or a Twitter username that I've had for since Twitter started, which is Be The Boy, B-E-T-H-E-B-O-Y. Um, I apologize in advance for anything you may read that I say there. <laughs> that's a good that's a that's a good standard thing to have for Twitter I think in general yes. it's, a good, it's a good idea so uh, well, good, that's great thank, again thank you very much uh, guys anyone who wants to contact the show of course you can go to the contact page over on our network site which is fireandwaterpodcast.com and you can follow the show over on Twitter at at pod underscore Dylan so again Will thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate it and uh, thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you later bye and now I stand you here Looking at your yellow railroad In the ruins of your balcony Wondering where you are tonight, sweet Marie to kill that kid when you live outside the law you have to eliminate dishonesty that kid as you call him made a deal and tried to shake us down that's fundamentally dishonest or he had to die